Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you today. We just thank you for these young folks and we thank you for what they mean to you. And I just ask today that you would work in their lives, that you would uh, help them, Lord, with whatever they're dealing with, whatever struggles going on in their life. Uh, Lord, you said that your word is sufficient for everything. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is there for us. And you said as through Paul that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you also said that when I'm weak, I am strong because God can work in me and through me. So, Father, I pray that you would give strength to these young folks. That you would help them to look to you, to trust you. And if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would trust you and, and realize how great life is on the other side with you, Father. So we ask that today, and we just pray that you would be glorified uh, through everything said and done here today, that you would fill me and empower me, because without you I can do nothing. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to look at John chapter 4 today. I don't know if anybody brought their Bibles today, but I'm going to read verses 43 to 54, and we're going to talk about Jesus healing a young child a nobleman's son. It says in verse 43 of John chapter 4, he says, Now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all, thing, all the things he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So we're looking at John chapter 4 today. And we're looking at verses 43 to 54. Um, Remember, last time I was here, we talked about how Jesus had talked to the lady, uh, the woman at the well, the woman who had been living with a man and had five husbands. And Jesus came specifically to talk to her because she had a problem that only he could deal with. You know, that's the way it is today that that Jesus is really the only one equipped to deal with our problems. Uh, and the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Word of God is sufficient for everything. And so the Bible is here to help us through life and to help us trust God and get to know Him. And so this lady 
who is in very bad sin gets to know Jesus and she gets saved and then she goes and tells the townspeople and then the townspeople they come to see Jesus and they believe the word that she said but then some of them also believe the word that he said and so what we have here is a whole town a good many people in this town getting saved because of this one woman who had a terrible reputation see many of us think that we can't be used of God but God wants to do something mighty in all of y'all's lives I don't care who you are where you've been what's happened to you what you've done but God wants to work in your life he wants to heal you he wants to work and do something so that you can do something productive with your life and so as we get to the next section we're going to see another man come to Jesus this man is a nobleman he's uh, uh, basically he's uh, a king's man he's uh, one of the governmental people and what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the Nicodemus who is a Jew and the Galileans who are also Jews the people of his own hometown and he's contrasting those with the people who are not his people the Samaritans and the people who are the uh, governmental people but yet these people believe but his own people won't believe so he says now after the two days this is the two days he stayed with the Samaritans and he told them about himself and many of them believed and they said he was indeed the Christ the Savior of the world he departed from there and he went to Galilee and then it says far that word is very important he says far or because Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country in other words what he was doing he was not only foretelling the future but what he was also doing was saying these people are so familiar with me see so many times people don't believe in us people don't know who we really are but they see what they see on the outside they see the things we've done in the past and they don't understand that we can be so much more than what is on the outside and so sometimes after we've made mistakes after we've goofed up after things have happened in our lives you know what happens people tend not to uh, think a whole lot of us and they they won't give us the credit due where credit is there that we're able to do some of the things that God wants us to do so here's Jesus you know they say he's a just a carpenter's son one man one of the disciples said can anything good come out of Galilee and so basically they they get too familiar with Jesus because they know who he is they knew who his parents are and so they're having a very hard time believing that Jesus is God in human flesh and so they're, they're really having a hard time dealing with that and that's what happens is people get too familiar with us with Jesus and then they don't really see what God can do in our lives because see God can do mighty things in your lives God can use you in a mighty way if you would let him he wants to I mean just cause whatever's happened in your life whatever you've done whatever's gone on doesn't mean that the rest of your life when you trust Christ or if you trust Christ that you can't do something great and awesome for him 
Because the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for a hope and a future. And the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things are passed away and all things have become new. But see, these people didn't trust Jesus because they just looked at what they saw and they didn't look to Him to see the great things that God wanted to do through Him because He was God. And so it says in verse 45, So when He came to Galilee, the Galileans received Him, having seen all the things He did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Now did you catch that? What did the Bible say? It said that that a prophet was out without honor in his own country. And then the next sentence it says, But the Galileans received him. But why does it say they received him? It says because they had seen the signs that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. I don't know if you remember what John chapter 2 verse 23 and 24 says. But it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover... During the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anybody should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Now when the Bible speaks of man, it's talking about anthropos. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about people in general. But what he's saying here is these people only reason they believed on Jesus because he was the genie in the bottle, Jesus. Isn't that what we want most of the time? We want a, we want a, a genie in the bottle, Jesus, to get you out of here. We want a Jesus, genie in the bottle, Jesus, to fix our life, to fix our parents, to fix our family, to fix whatever it is, our sickness, whatever's going on in life. That's what we want. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says that Jesus loves us. And he says in this world you have much tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And then John's going to define in, in 1 John chapter 4 who an overcomer is. You can overcome this world. You can be a conqueror. You can go through this world and not only uh, survive this world, but come out a better person because of the things you go through. If you've trusted Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. But, you know, so many times we want this genie in the bottle, Jesus, that we ask him to fix this or do that. And we pray to him when there's a need, when there's a problem, when there's something going on. But then when the problem gets fixed or it looks like it's okay or we're doing okay for a little while, you know what we do? We forget about Jesus. We leave our Bibles at home or we leave them here or wherever we're at. We don't pay any attention to it. We quit going to church. We quit doing the things that was helping us. And we go back to the ways we were at. Next thing you know, we're in trouble again. And a lot of times we're in trouble worse than we were to begin with. Because that's just the way sin is. But see, these Galileans, they like Jesus as long as He's feeding them and clothing them and healing them and doing all the things for them. But see, Jesus, it says in chapter 2, he wouldn't commit himself to them. Because you know why? He knew the only reason they cared about him was because they wanted him to do something for them. Feed me, fix me, heal me. Do this, do that, do the other. This is my Jesus in a bottle. Let's rub the bottle and get Jesus to fix it. But that's not why Jesus came. And so we need to realize that Jesus is there for us. 
And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 43 that he'll be with us when we pass through the waters. And the waters will not overflow us. And it says he'll be with us when we pass through the fire. It will not burn us, nor will it scorch us. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they didn't get delivered from the fire. They had to go into the fire. But Jesus was in the fire with them. Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. But guess what? God was with him and God protected him. God doesn't guarantee us that we'll get out of situations. But what he does guarantee us that when we're in the situations, he'll be there for us and through it. And you need to realize that. A lot of people, they get mad with God because God didn't fix everything. That's not God's job. God's job is to save us, to forgive us. And then through His power, we go through this world, this tough, wild, crazy world that's full of trouble and problems. And He gets us through it because we trust in Him and we follow Him and we depend on Him when times get tough. See, that's what's going on here because, see, he comes to Cana, Galilee, where he made the water wine. And they they remember the sign that he made the water into wine. That showed that he was God over time. He was a powerful God. He was a God over nature. That he he could make uh, wine and just didn't even say a word. He just said, fill up the water pots. They filled it up. As soon as it was filled up, he said, take some out now. And it it was wine. Now, I don't believe Jesus turned that into wine that you could get drunk off of because the Bible says don't be drunk with wine. But I believe it was a good, great juice. And that's what, you know, when you look in the Bible, the word wine can mean anything from great juice to something that will get you drunk. And so it says in verse 46, And there was a certain nobleman. That word nobleman means he was a royal official. He was one of the king's people. He was a governmental official, probably King Herod. Excuse me, King Herod Antipas. He was one of his people. Now, these. This was another person that. Guess what? The Jews hated. They hated the Samaritans. Guess what? The Samaritan woman gets saved, and a bunch of the people in Sychar, the city of Samaria, they get saved. The Jews hate them. Nicodemus, he comes, he doesn't get saved. He's a Jew. Now here comes another guy that's not a Jew. And he gets over there and he talks to Jesus. And he says, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he goes to him. Now remember, this is a, we don't have a map right here. But somewhere, depending upon who I read, it was at least 13 to 20 miles away. His son's sick. His son's dying. He's doing all he can to get there. Remember, they didn't have boats and planes and trains and cars. But you had to pretty well walk mostly wherever you went. So it takes a little while to get 13 miles. And, and a lot more if, it takes, if it's 20 miles. I don't know how many of us today could walk 10 or 15 miles in a day. But... Uh, So he goes and sees Jesus and it says he went to him and he implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. His son's just about to die. 
you know, imagine if your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother or somebody that you really love is about to die. You'd do anything you could to try to get them healed, wouldn't you? Well, that's what this man is doing. He's in a desperate situation. He's probably running all over the place looking for Jesus and probably a little crowd forms around him because they figure when he finds Jesus, they want to be there too because guess what? They want some more of that healing. They want some more of that food. They want some more of the stuff that Jesus does. And so they probably following this guy around and, and finally he finds Jesus and he asks him to please come and heal my son because he's about to die. And then Jesus said to him, unless you people, in other words, you, all of y'all people, see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. In other words, what he's doing is he's condemning the signs and wonders that the people are wanting to see, right? Because what did Jesus come to do? He came to save us. He didn't come to heal everybody. He didn't come to fix every problem. But He came to save, to seek and save that which is lost. He came to die and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's why He died. But what He's probably doing here too, number one, He's probably testing this guy to see what He's going to do. And then number two, what He's doing is He's probably trying to run off the crowd. See, when the crowd realizes they're not going to see any signs, wonders, and miracles, guess what? The crowd probably goes, yeah, okay, whatever, we're leaving. And then they probably, when he says in a minute, go, your son lives, go home, your son lives, they probably like, yeah, right, and if anybody was left, they leave. But what this man wants Jesus to do is to come with him that ten, that 13 to 20 miles, whatever it is, and come back to his house and heal him. But you know what? By the time he got back to the house, walked that 13 to 20 miles, that little boy could have been dead. But he didn't think about that. But two, he didn't also think about it when he, if he died, Jesus could have brought him back to life because he did bring some people back to life, didn't he? And so, he doesn't think about all these things. But what Jesus does is he kind of rebukes this guy to see where he's really coming from. To see if he's really going to trust him. If he's really going to believe in him. And the guy says, you know, come my son's dying, please come. And he says, hey, unless you see signs, wonders, y'all people aren't going to believe. You know? And a lot of people probably would have gone away, but this guy's desperate. He doesn't say a word about what Jesus says. Doesn't say anything about that rebuke that Jesus said to him. But what does he say in verse 49? The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. See, he's desperate. Please come down, my son's dying. He doesn't respond to what Jesus says. He just wants Jesus to come and heal his son. He believes that Jesus can do it. And he's going to stay after him till he does it. And, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. See, it sounds kind of harsh that Jesus would tell him, hey, look, unless y'all people see a bunch of signs and miracles, y'all not going to believe. He wasn't being nasty. He wasn't being mean. He was just testing the guy. Anybody remember the story about the lady that came and 
and uh, her son was sick and and she was a Gentile and Jesus said well you know the bread is for the Jews and she said yeah but even the little dogs that's what they call Gentiles anybody wasn't a Jew the Jews called Gen- Gentiles were dogs and she says even the dogs get to get the crumbs so please heal my son and he says go it's done because she had faith she trusted Jesus she believed on him and so that's kind of what he's doing to this guy seeing what he's going to do Seeing how we're going to react. See, because so many times we expect Jesus to do something our way. Immediately. Or when we want it. How we want it. When we want it. Where we want it. But that isn't the way God operates. See, if God did everything the way we wanted it. When we did wanted it. Where we wanted it. How we want it. Where would faith come in? Faith is trusting God no matter what, right? Forsaking all, I trust Him. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to trust God. Faith is believing God can do it and then watching Him when He does it. Faith is knowing that God is able to do whatever He wants to do in our lives. But just because He doesn't do it doesn't mean we can lose faith in Him. Because He may be choosing to work a different direction. Do you know that? He may not be doing things the way we want them done. We say fix this, do this, do the other. But God's got a different plan. Because see that Romans 8.28 that says God works all things together for good. That means that He takes the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in our life. And somehow, some way, He wants to use it to make us into the person He wants us to be. That's why He says count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, don't say, God, get me out of the trial. But God, while I'm in this trouble, while I'm in this trial, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to find out? What do you want me to do? That's what he says. And so Jesus said to him, go your way. He's not going home with the guy. See, the crowd would have probably followed him. Then he had a really big crowd. There was something about that first miracle he did. It was a private miracle just with his disciples. But he did some other public miracles. But then guess what? Here's another private miracle. He doesn't want anybody to see this but this man. And so the man believed the word. Get that? He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. That's the same thing that it said in the section about the Samaritans. The Samaritan woman believed his word and the Samaritans in the city believed his word. They weren't looking for signs, wonders, and miracles. This guy is given a gift by Jesus. Jesus heals his son instantly. Over 13 to 20 miles, the boy's instantly healed. And he says, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Now, his servants were probably fretting too because the boy's about to die. When they see him get well, guess what? They start heading back to where he was at to let him know it's okay now. They're probably trying to keep the man from having to worry as long. But for some reason or another, uh, the man apparently took him like a whole 24-hour period to get back home. We don't know exactly why. 
Maybe because he really took Jesus at his word and he knew he didn't have to be home immediately because the boy was okay. Because it didn't take 24 hours to, to go back. But maybe he was exhausted. Maybe he was wore out. Maybe he wasn't able to go back that quick. And he had to rest. And then he headed back the next day. But it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And it says, Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour. That's 1 p.m. in the afternoon based on Jewish time. And he says... The, the fever left him, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he says, He himself believed in his whole household. See, not only did he believe in Jesus, but what, you know what kind of belief this was? This was a saving belief. This is a trusting belief. Because he believed in the word that Jesus spoke. And the man was saved. And then he told his household about it. And just like the woman went after she got saved and told others what, what God had done for her, what Jesus had done for her, this man tells his family and his whole household gets saved because he hears the word. See, that's one characteristic of a true saving faith that you're not ashamed to tell other people about what Jesus did for you. The Bible says, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you won't confess me before other people, I'll, I won't confess you before my Father. In other words, true saved people will tell others that they have been forgiven and that God has saved them. And God has changed their life. And so, it says that he believed in his whole household. The whole family gets saved. The previous time it was a woman and a whole town get saved. Now it's a man and his whole family. And it says this again is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. This is the second sign that John chose to write down. Because if you remember this book is about the seven signs, the seven miracles before Jesus dies and is resurrected. There's one more in there after he dies and is resurrected. There's eight miracles. But there's seven before he dies on the cross for our sins. And he puts those in there because it said the whole purpose of the book is that seeing these signs, hearing what Jesus did, we would know that he is God and have life in his name. See, only God can heal people over a distance. Only God can, can take water, skip the grapevine, skip the grapes, and make it into wine immediately. Only God can do those things. And see, the lesson for us, folks, is that same thing that John is trying to show us throughout this whole section, that God is powerful. God is amazing. He's the God over everything. And He can do anything He wants in our lives. But we need to believe Him. We need to trust Him. We need to look to Him for that miracle. See, you don't come up with your own miracles. You don't come up with your own plans. You don't do your own thing, but God does it His way. And when we look to Him and trust in Him to do things the way He wants to do it, it's amazing what God can do in our lives. But we have to trust Him. We have to follow Him. 
And sometimes, you know, the old devil, his, his job is to make everything look so bad. Did you know that? His job is to kill, steal, and destroy. And his job is to make things look so bad that they're impossible. See, that it looked like this boy was going to die. Even if he did, Jesus could have healed him and brought him back to life. But see, the devil wants to make you think that your life, the things that happen to you, the things that you've done, whatever it is, are so terrible that, that your life can never be straightened out. That God can't do anything in your life. But let me tell you something. God can do anything in your life if you will just trust Him and follow Him. You need to ask Him to forgive you. You need to ask Him to save you. You need to ask Him to come into your life and make you that new creation and make you into that person that, that, that He can use in a mighty way. Because see, all the troubles you've been through, the things you've done, the problems in your past, God will use them in your life in the future. Because see, the, the troubles we've been through, the things we go through, that is what makes us who we are. And, and the things that we've gone through, when we get God to help us and work in our lives, we can, we can help other people that have been through the same thing we've been through. And that's what God wants to do in our life. But just remember, this whole world's not perfect. People are pretty horrible. People are pretty mean. And we can be that way too. But you know what? Whatever happens in life, God wants to use it to make you into a better person. You ever heard that old saying, what doesn't, make, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? That's Romans 8.28. Did you know that? It's Genesis 50 verse 20 where Joseph said, Look, y'all brothers wanted to kill me. Y'all threw me in the hole and then you sold me into slavery. And then I ended up locked up in the prison because of Potiphar's wife. And y'all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Because see, he wanted to save the people of Israel, bring them into Egypt, and then work something mighty in their lives. See, the things that you're going through... God can use to help you down the road, to help other people, to do a mighty work for Him. Who knows what God can do through y'all? I mean, every single one of y'all is a potential amazing person that God wants to use. See, God doesn't see us as who we are. He sees us as we can be. You remember Gideon? Oh, Gideon's hiding in the, in the house up there and he's threshing grain because he's afraid the Midianites are going to come steal the grain again from him. Because every time they get the crops in, every time they get all the stuff ready and they got it all ready, guess what? Here come the Midianites. And they steal it all from them and take it back home with them. So he's up there hiding in the building threshing the grain. He's supposed to be on top of the hill throwing it up so that the stuff can get blown away. And God comes to him and says, Gideon, you, you, you who are hiding in the building, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon like, who? Me? Mighty man of valor? I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm up here hiding in the building. What you talking about? Mighty man of valor. But before it's over with, he's a mighty man doing mighty works for a mighty God. See, that's the same thing with Moses. Moses was somebody in the palace. Then he was nobody out there in the desert. And then he was out there in the desert with the Israelites. And God, he found out that God could use anybody. 
See, he was a somebody, then he was a nobody, then he found out God could use anybody. And that's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do in my life. And I'm just telling you, folks, today is the day of salvation. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to save you. Ask Him to come into your life and make you that new creation because you believe that He died on that cross for your sins. He died in your place. There's nothing you can do to earn it, to deserve it, to pay for it. As the old song says, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washes me white as snow. God wants to clean you up and use you. Will you let Him do that today? Father... I want to pray for these folks right now that you would just work a mighty work in their life. I know many of them are hurting and and you said that you love the helpless, the hopeless, and the hurting. That you love all of us, Lord. You're no respecter of persons no matter who we are, no matter where we came from, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us. You love us. You care for us. And you want to do a mighty work in our life. So I pray right now, Lord. That whatever's gone in these young young folks' life, that you wouldn't uh, let it break them for the rest of their life. But they would remember that uh, you work all things together for good. And that you want to do something mighty in their life. And they would trust you and follow you and let you do something great in their life, Lord. I'm asking you today to help somebody here today to trust you. To ask you to forgive them and ask you to save them. And Lord, we just give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. And and, and before y'all leave, I've got Christmas cards for y'all.